0: The other thing that was interesting is uh, his wife, Edith, um, she said she did not need the government to tell her that her husband was killed. She wrote to her twice a week, and when the letters dropped off and stopped, she knew he was probably dead.
1: listening to the stories behind the stars podcast my name is tatiana fallon and i'm your host this podcast is run by the organization stories behind the stars this has nothing to do with hollywood we are telling the stories behind the stars that were given in world war ii for those of you who are not familiar during world war ii when a service member was killed the family received a banner with a gold star on it We are telling the stories behind these stars. Our goal is to put them all 400,000 into a common database, which then we will build a smartphone app that will be searchable from any location where you can read the story behind the star and you can really come to know the individual. This podcast is dedicated to telling those stories as we find them, as our researchers are doing this amazing research. You'll hear from researchers who are all volunteers from all across the country, and you'll hear their story, what brought them to the project, and then also the stories that they're finding. This is amazing content, and I really hope you enjoy this adventure. This is part two to the episode I did with Kevin McIntyre, Navy veteran. In this podcast, he tells us two more stories that he has a personal connection with and a Pearl Harbor connection with. If you haven't had a chance, go check out um, episode 53, which is part one, with
0: Kevin McIntyre. Do you have another story you want to share with us? I, I do. Um, I thought this was an interesting one. Now, this is before Pearl Harbor, another one. But this one kind of kind of happened to me, right? So I'm I'm kind of getting into... Stories Behind the Stars, and my wife and I live in California, and we were going to a winery in town, and um, so we went up there, uh, talked to the owner, and he had a hat on, and he was a, he was a uh, Vietnam vet, and we started kind of talking a little bit. And I told him what I was doing. I said, hey, you know, I'm kind of doing this uh, investigation for this, this program, and uh, it's really interesting. I told him a couple of stories. He said, well, that's funny. Um, you know, my, my, my father was in World War II. I said, oh, no kidding. I said, well, you know, I, I retired in, in the Navy 26 years. He said, well, my dad was in the Navy. I said, oh, no kidding. Well, tell me more. Give me some basic information. And I'll start doing some research because he says, you know, we don't really have a lot of stuff on this guy. Cause I was very, very, he was killed and um, I didn't really know my dad. So I got his name, did some research and oh my gosh, um, here is a, a guy born 1911, got his whole future. His, his father is a very successful hotel manager and uh, owner of some apartment buildings. In Oakland, California, and he goes to college, goes to Berkeley. He ends up being the youngest hotel manager on the West Coast, 23 years old. A guy named Roger Louis Germain Alou, A L A U uh, X, gets married, and of course, you know, obviously I met his, you know, the son at the winery, and he had an older brother. So I find the whole story behind that. Well, he decides that he is going to, when he goes to Berkeley, he's going to join the NROTC unit. This is 1933. And you don't think a lot about that. He's just joining it, right? He's in a couple other fraternities. Well, by this time, World War II kind of comes upon him and he's told, hey, you've got a reserve commission. We need officers. So, he gets pulled into World War II. The very beginning of World War II, ends up uh, um, getting involved in supply ships initially, and they had the the Liberty ships that were being built, but um, uh, they're starting to build a new, they call it a Haskell-class attack transport ship. Very, very big ship, very modern replacement to the Liberty ship. And he gets assigned to one of those right off the bat, Um, and on a, on a side note, uh, the son was sharing to me that, oh yeah, I have some letters and he was involved in Operation Cincinnati. Well, what the, what's that all about? Well, apparently he was a swimmer. Remember I was telling you about those UDT guys? Well, he participated in a, it was a a test of the security defenses in Guantanamo Bay in 1943. And they were swim teams that were in and they infiltrated the harbor defenses to try to test to see how it was defended. And uh it was considered topsy at the time by OSS, which OSS became CIA, right? So to make a long story short, he, he becomes a surface warfare officer, which means he's he's driving a ship, right? He's a navigator or something like that. He ends up being assigned to a staff out of Hawaii. It's actually a, a, it's a mine, uh, warfare staff. So they're, they're the ones who transport mines. And then they, uh, they command most of the mine laying ships. And so they, he was in the Pacific theater, ends up going to, um, Iwo Jima during the battle of Iwo Jima. He was there. And, uh, one of the, the, uh, Kamikaze planes, attacked the ship. He ended up having to take command as a lieutenant commander of the ship because the CO had been hurt. Then fast forward to the Battle of Okinawa, which was in May 1945. He's on the ship USS Terror, a very uh, up-to-date, mine, uh, mine-lane type of ship. And uh, he was part of the staff there of the uh, Admiral, And uh, in May, May 1st, I think, of 1945, they were anchored uh, right outside of uh, the main capital, I think, area of Okinawa. There's a little archipelago of islands just to the west of Okinawa. It's called Kiramarito. And uh, about 1 o'clock in the morning, kamikaze comes in. And there's a lot of ships out there in this archipelago, and they're all prepping for the invasion of Okinawa. Uh, The kamikaze plane comes in, finds his ship, goes right for the uh, conning tower area where the CO would be, and has a bomb on board. And uh, where he hits the plane, uh, completely engulfs that particular part of the ship, and most likely he was in that communication area very close to the conning tower and he was killed. And, um, uh, I just thought that was such an interesting connection with somebody that I had met and here I'm finding all this information on stories behind the stars. And, uh, you know, he had, there were three sons, and all of them are still alive. I actually ended up communicating with the oldest son who was kind of like the family genealogist. So I kind of got a lot more involved than I ever thought. But this Lieutenant Commander Alu was one of 12,500 Americans who were killed in Okinawa.
1: So did, did his family know that about how he perished or were you able to help them find a lot of that information?
0: They, I was able to help them find a lot of information. They knew that he was he was killed in Okinawa. They didn't know how it all happened, so I was actually able to get all the details behind it. I mean, I actually got a lot of the ship's records, and um, there was actually a couple of um, battle damage reports where they talked about where people were probably killed on the ship, specifically communications, navigation bridge, um, you know, supply uh, work center, that kind of stuff. And here was a guy who had everything to look forward to, two sons that he hadn't met before. And um, what was so ironic is that, you know, here he is in the hotel management business, hospitality business. And we find out later on that his wife had written that he loved the Navy. His intention was to stay in the Navy for a career after World War II never got to do it.
1: Wow. So do you know if his wife remarried or if she...
0: Yeah, she did, Lorena. She remarried October 31st, 1976 in Laguna Hills, California. So sounds like the family kind of remain in California. And what's funny is the the guy who I met, his son, second son, went to Vietnam, right? Well, it turns out His brother also went to Vietnam. So all three sons end up going into the military in Vietnam.
1: Wow. That's amazing. So it's kind of cool to bring some closure to some family, you know, that just, that's the crazy thing to me about like World War II is like so many people still to this day don't really know what happened to the the loved ones. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, and uh, can you imagine if there's no evidence, like, of where the remains are? At least when we started doing Pearl Harbor and the Arizona Memorial, we knew their bodies were entombed, you know, but uh, how about those who were never found? And, you know, they're just now the DNA technology is getting to the point where they're actually, um, what do they call it? They're they're taking out the the remains out of some of the old uh, unknowns, and they're now doing the DNA to verify they may actually find out who they are.
1: Yeah, I think that's amazing work, and and it's crazy because you'll start seeing uh, World War Pearl Harbor especially fallen coming home. We just had one come home um, like to Louisville, like uh, or to Kentucky, not to Louisville, a, a week ago. Um, so like they're coming home now because they're starting to you know, exonerate those and find match them with if they had any posterity or any like nieces or, you know, nephews and stuff.
0: Yeah, that's kind of neat. You know, at least uh, and it gives closure to the family, which is the biggest thing. Can you imagine carrying that stress and that, uh, you know, not having things resolved for 40, 50, 60 years even? Yeah. So that's kind of amazing.
1: Kevin has one more story he's going to tell us. But before we listen to that story, Stop what you're doing and follow this podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening to it. It really helps us get more people to listen to this podcast. And then do us a huge favor and share this episode or your favorite episode with people in your circle who you think might want to help us volunteer um, or just hear amazing stories about World War II Fallen. Um, We're in the midst of our... Arlington project. We're just starting it. We have the goal of telling all of the stories of those World War II service members killed um, who were buried in Arlington before this Memorial Day. So Memorial Day 2022. In order for us to do that, we need to tell 300 stories a week. So we need at least 300 volunteers uh, to get this, this huge project done. So Please consider sharing it with um, anyone in your circle you think would would benefit from being an awesome volunteer like uh, Mr. McIntyre is, Um, and thank you for listening,
0: and we'll hear the other story. And then, Deanna, I just have one last one, which was the Pearl Harbor, one of the Pearl Harbor ones I was recently given. guy's name was uh, Paxton Carter, born in 1913 in Mississippi. Um, His mother died right after he was born. His father remarries. He ends up having three half-brothers and three half-sisters. And, you know, this is that era, like you and I were talking about, about the Depression era, hard to get good jobs. A lot of the guys doing farms or working around, uh, you know, some more blue labor type of industry. Uh, He ends up uh, getting into the Navy, in Portland, Oregon, 1934 gets assigned to the Arizona. In those days, sailors were normally assigned to large capital ships like that for most of their career because some of them were unique or their systems, um, you know, you had to have somebody had corporate knowledge of those systems. So he'd been assigned to the Arizona 1934 all the way to the day he died. And, um, 1934, he comes in as a seaman, Um, seems to be, you know, pretty, um, I don't think he's, uh, like, he's not a college guy, but he's just very, very sharp. Ends up becoming a first-class petty officer in, like, four or five years, which is very, very quick. Normally, first-class petty officer, it's somewhere around eight years, uh, even longer than that before you become a first class. He became a storekeeper, which is in the supply side of the Navy. These are the guys who do all the inventories for all the stock coming across, whether it's food, whether it's um, uh, other types of inventory. And he, uh, in that particular, they call it a rating in the Navy. It's your occupation, right? So rating is occupation. In the storekeeper realm, that is uh, under the supply department. So um, along the way, he ends up applying for a warrant officer commission. So warrant officers, unlike I was a regular commission officer, which means that I can be in command of a ship, of a plane, of a base. Warrant officers are very um, specific. They're a subspecialty. So they normally can't be in command of a lot of things. They're just technical experts at that particular area. So he was a technical expert in supply and pay management. So the the the, uh, when when uh, when the sailors get paid, the experts in the navy are the supply people, right? So he ends up getting commission as a warrant officer in April 1941, and of course he's on Arizona. The interesting part of, of his situation, because, you know, he was, he was entombed. Um, a survivor of the Arizona, Ralph Bayard, said he and Mr. Paxton Carter had dinner in Honolulu the night before the attack, and that he invited his friend to spend the night ashore in his apartment instead of traveling back late. Mr. Carter declined. He says that he wanted to go back to the Arizona so he could get up early in the morning and grade the training courses to some of the crew members who were trying to advance in rate, get promoted. That's the kind of guy he was. Do your duty. I'm going to make sure I take care of these kids. And he just had to go back on that Sunday. Happenstance. He could have easily stayed overnight. The other thing that was interesting is uh, his wife, Edith, Um, she said she did not need the government to tell her that her husband was killed. She wrote to her twice a week. And when the letters dropped off and stopped, she knew he was probably dead. She ended up remarrying twice. 1948, she had a kid. And then, um, and then another gentleman, she only had one child. And uh, passed away in 1989. In uh, I thought that was very interesting, and gentleman going from the seaman to an officer. Uh, obviously, very dedicated to the Navy, and I think that's what happens. You 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 find yourself in that, you know. Oh, this is what I was meant to do. And uh, unfortunately, you know, things things were not uh, set up very well for him in the end. He,
1: that's what I really struggle with a lot of this that happens in the war is it's like, it's this one decision, right? You decide to take the seat here and, or be here. And then the ma- that man gets shot and you don't, right? You decide, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do my duty and come back on the ship this one night when I didn't have to. And then you, you, you perish. It's like, it, it's hard sometimes to, I don't know what the word is to esoteric, uh, like to, Think about these little decisions yeah. that play such a huge impact into your life and
0: how the war goes. Well, they call that it serendipity. It's all happenstance. You just don't know. You can't do any calculus or any analysis on this and come up with the right answer. It's just that's, you know, when it when you when you do, it just happens. I mean, I've I've seen a lot of that happen in my life. As a, as a Navy pilot, my brother's an Army pilot. Um, we both missed the two wars in our career, 1991 invasion of Iraq and the 2003 invasion, and just, just missed it by different circumstances. I was on a carrier getting ready to go to the war in 1991, and Mount Penatuba blew up in the Philippines. We ended up doing a non-combatant evacuation out of the Philippines, so we didn't get go directly to the ground war. It was already over by the time we got there. My brother was an instructor, he was an army helicopter pilot. He was an instructor, he was he was trained his whole career to go into combat. They pull him back, go, oh, you know, we're short of instructors, we need to kind of hang back here in Georgia and the rest of his guys went forward. And those little things, now my dad went to Vietnam he was uh, flying, uh, doing intelligence collection. They would do uh, what they call radio bearings on vehicle radio uh, teams. And then they carpet bomb the area. <laughs> and he got shot at all over the place. his plane came back with bullet holes. My grandfather was in World War II. He was one of those guys. He was an enlisted man, got commissioned the day after December 7th, 1941. Went out on the uh, what was it, the USS, i uh, remember it here in a second, went out on a carrier, got torpedoed out of San Francisco, came back, he was put ashore saying, hey, you know, we need to have shore uh, security teams and we're building this new uh, tri-police uh, company. We need you to be in command of it. He never went to sea again. Serendipity, he could have been killed going back to sea. One back in the Pacific. but
1: Wow. So I love to ask this question, you know, at, as our volunteers are doing this for a while, do you feel like it's changed your perspective at all in life or about
0: World War II? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. As a historian, absolutely. I mean, every event that went ahead of us is, is affected our lives in some way whether it be a family member that didn't have any kids or it, it's a circumstance that changed the direction that the family was going. I mean, uh, yeah, it's built in our DNA. All those things have had a profound effect on us. From the decisions of the leaders, the, the big leaders in World War II, Churchill and Roosevelt and Truman, all those things, all the way to the decision that your grandfather made When he had to enlist, some guys went north to Canada. Some guys decided that uh, I'm gonna go coast guard. Maybe they didn't have as many uh, chances to die as maybe the army guy in the big red one. Right. Mm -hmm. Who knew?
1: Yeah, no, my grandfather's a perfect example. He he enlisted in the Navy and then he he was got through you know basic training World War II and that or not basic whatever they do in the Navy for training I don't remember.
0: Yeah, it, it's basic. It's basic recruit training, and then they go into specific training for their occupation.
1: And then he had a kidney infection, and they kicked him out because he was something with his kidneys. And then he literally never had an issue with his kidneys for the rest of his life, never.
0: Isn't so that it's funny? just
1: like yeah, it's just like whoa, well you know. <laughs>
0: Well, and you know, one of the stories I read was a gentleman who, um, I think he couldn't pass the vision test and he went back to the recruiter again and again and again. And finally the doc says, you know, if somebody really wants it this bad, I'm going to go ahead and sign you. in." So he let him pass the vision. Things like that happen, right? So another family connection, my wife's uncle, he just passed away a couple of years ago. I think he was in his 90s. And uh, he was one of the coxswain. So you know the landing craft that go across, you know, go to the beach. There's a guy driving that landing craft. That's the coxswain, right? He was driving the British into Geno Beach, December, or I'm sorry, June 6, 1944. So there was another connection that just kind of happened circumstance with my wife and I getting married and I'm finding out about these connections and all her brothers or all her uncles were enlisted in the service. So I think, uh, there's a lot to be said to the greatest generation. I think we take it for granted, the sacrifices sometimes that they made. I don't think, uh, People have dived in enough to really understand all the things that they had to do and gave up.
1: Yeah, I love that you bring that up because it's such an individual thing, you know, when you read these stories and you hear about that, you know, the man that was killed on D Day, you know, who had a family, you know, like you just don't, they're numbers. And then as soon as we start doing these stories, they become men. And then their fathers and their brothers and their husbands, and and they're no longer numbers. And I think that's really empowering because if we could get our children to realize, is like the freedom you in, enjoy isn't a number <laughs> on a de- battle, right? It's a story. It's an it's somebody who gave up so that you could, we as America and the free world could exist. And and uh, and I think that's it's it's, a, it's so empowering. I was actually sharing with one of my friends this story that I had done a couple of podcasts ago. And she was listening to it over Marco Polo, which is like an app that, and her daughter was listening to me talking. And she asked her mom's like, what, what's, what's Pearl Harbor, you know? And here's like a six-year-old girl who's like um, hearing this story for first time. And, and my friend was like, I'm so grateful that you shared this story with us because I got to have a most amazing conversation with my six-year-old about, this individual man's choices at Pearl Harbor. And for her, Pearl Harbor became important because it was connected to this one man's choices in his story. And she's like, I hadn't realized that that power that comes in us listening to these stories and then telling them to our children, even if we're not related to them, you know, because our, our children and the next generation, and even my generation, they hear these like, oh, these weren't just like Cogs in a, a, you know, a factory that were just doing these things. These were people making choices and they made them for a reason. Maybe we should look into what that reason was, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. uh, Everything you say is just, uh, I think it's pretty profound and, uh, and uh, people don't realize the connection to the freedoms that we have today. You know, freedom is not free.
1: Yeah. Okay, so one last thing. If you could talk to any veteran who would who might be considering volunteering, would you give them what kind of advice? Would you give
0: them? Um, I would. Uh, I would tell them that uh, look into these stories like you were looking into your own family. And um, when I do my investigation, I not only look at the individual. The profile I'm looking, I'm looking at the entire family and all the fingers of the family that kind of go out to try to get the whole story, you know, um, because it, it tells you probably what that individual was dealing with, kind of what they're like, why they made the decisions that they made, what other things that um, they had responsibility for that um, they had to make this bigger decision that was bigger than themselves um and uh enjoy the history i mean it's this is something to uh to savor it's, it's not something uh that should be a drudgery you know so that's kind of the way i look at
1: it i love that you say that cuz i feel the same way it's like when i get to sit down and and interview someone and i get to hear these stories it, i just i love hearing these stories they they inspire me. They help me get through life, but they also—I just learned so much. It's just, I, and I and I'm kind of naive when it comes to all the the military facets, and so that's why I like to like interview people and learn all these little you know facets that are just amazing to see how we accomplish such an amazing feat of of winning World War II. You know, it's 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 so inspiring to see the individual people acting in in this big arena.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, you remind me very much of my niece. She said the exact same thing you did, but you know, she just, I think, you know, she saw, saw those family connections with her uncles and uh, her grandfather. And so, uh, but you know, the same kind of thing, well, I, you know, I'm kind of stuck on this military term or I'm not sure how they're organized and why they do this. But, you know, when you finally start seeing that information, it starts accumulating, you start getting a better feel for what these guys had to put up with and women too.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for taking your time with me today, and then also just thank you so much for for volunteering with this project and helping us out so much. You really appreciate it.
0: Oh, you bet! Thank you for all of those things you're doing. That's a lot of work.
1: <laughs> We're trying. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for spending your time with us, listening to these amazing stories of these fallen heroes. If this is content you want to keep hearing please consider sharing this podcast with others. The more we grow our listening base, the more people we can reach, the more impact we can have, the more volunteers we can find, and the more stories that get told. So if you like this content and you're enjoying what you're hearing, please follow us and share and find us on any social media platform You'll and, and follow us there. And then most importantly, check us out at storiesbehindthestars.org. Click the volunteer button and join the Star Corps. Thank you.